When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Leaf Sky, Episode 4, Season 2. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. I want to thank Mike Ross for that fine introduction. He never misses a beat. So we're going to deal with the Leafs, who are now on a three-game winning streak and have completed 10 games of their regular season. And it's an interesting climb up the ladder after bottoming out with losses to San Jose in Pittsburgh to a depleted Penguins team and in Carolina. Slow crawl out of the hole, but they are out of the hole and getting set for Tampa on Thursday night. Before we get there, NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, 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 chicken dinner, or as I like to say, yes, guy. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everybody can play for huge cash prizes all season long with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Yes, guy, it's THPN. Bet just $5 at any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with the promo code THPN. HPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, on to the hockey story. So, three straight wins. You could be somewhat sarcastic on some of these wins because they're not endorsing any kind of major turnaround, but a win Tuesday night against a depleted Vegas team, 4 nothing, does tell you a lot. The Leafs' best players were their best players, and there was plenty to be happy about in terms of managing the game situation, in terms of bulking up the big line to get the game's third goal, in terms of the goaltending, which is, of course, a shutout, and it's trending in the right direction at the right time. Ten games in, they seem to have slayed the dragon that goes back to the Montreal series in the first round of the playoffs. In fact, if you call Tuesday night's game a perfect game, then you would have to say, when was the last perfect game they played? That would have been game four against Montreal, also a shutout victory. We all know what happened after that. 
The answer, not much. Dave McCarthy is our guest today from NHL Network Radio on SiriusXM and NHL.com, and here is our conversation. So, Dave, let's go over the uh, the three wins here in a row. I mean, you know, you could look at this, uh, and you could be really sort of point blank and look at it two ways. You could look at it as you have to go to overtime to defeat a winless hockey team. You have to hang on to defeat a team that had played the night before, and you're on home ice, and they don't have Tyler Bertuzzi. And then last night, Tuesday night, you defeat a team that's pretty well minus six players. Uh, there are some great moments there, but it's hardly a ringing endorsement, is it? Well, you're right, um, but I'll choose to look at it positively. The way they were going uh, at the beginning of last week before that Chicago game, I mean, it was getting it – was, it was frighteningly concerning, if you will, like almost to the point where you, you started to wonder if they were ever to lose to Chicago, would some sort of move be made? Because, I mean, the way they were headed last week, it was almost like train wreck city, right? But the season was coming completely off the rails. So uh, they found a way to, to fight back after going down 2 nothing in that first period. Wayne Simmons was apparently one of the guys that stood up and delivered, shall we say, an impassioned speech uh, to the group in the first intermission. And, and they listened and, and put it into practice and found a way to come back. So oftentimes, I think when you're going poorly, uh, you win a game that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily deserve to win or you don't win in necessarily a textbook fashion, but you find a way to win. And then what I thought was, was good was the fact that they came out the next time on Saturday and were really strong in the first 10 minutes. Um, they, they established the pace of that game. They got ahead in that game. And sure, they didn't uh, they, they didn't steer it home as tidily as they could in the third period, uh, giving up a couple of two goal leads, let them get back to within one on a couple of occasions there. But uh, the fact is, they found a way to steer it home. And then yesterday, you're right against an undermanned team. But I, I look, uh, who else was undermanned that, that we were looking at Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago? We knew how that turned out. Um, you know, or a team like San Jose where. Uh, they had the opportunity, not having played since the previous Monday, and San Jose had played two games since then, including back-to-backs. And you thought that set up real well for the Leafs, uh, but they really were never even in that game at home against San Jose a couple of Fridays ago. So they came out yesterday against uh, Tuesday against the Vegas Golden Knights, undermanned, yes, but uh, I think played without question their best game of the season, and Vegas was never really in that game. So trending in the right direction, some signs of life, I think it's fair to say. And uh, when you're trying to pull out of a, a bad stretch, you just want to see a, a positive build. And that's what I've seen over the last three wins. I, I would agree with you. And in fact, when you look at it, you realize how deep a hole they were in because it's a real piece-by-piece piece build. You know, you can call it a battle with adversity, and I certainly would. But it sort of uh, really speaks to how deep they were in that hole because, you know, when you go through the, the escape hatch, it's, it is basically step-by-step, step and it gets to the point where their best players were finally their best players on Tuesday night. Right. It's starting Saturday, really, where John Tavares had himself a night, and he was the big force against Detroit, and then it was the Martyr Matthews and Nylander show on Tuesday. So the fact that the big boys have started to produce is also – Another really good sign, because at the end of the day, if they want to go anywhere, uh, those are the guys that are going to have to drive the ship. And they were certainly a little bit slower to start the season, 
um, Marner specifically, but, but, you know, just in and of himself, he looks a lot more like the player that we've come to know, at least during the regular season over the last number of years. He looks like he's playing free and easy. And that goal he scored to, uh, to open the scoring on Tuesday against Vegas, they were spun in front. I mean, that was, that was next level skill. There's only a handful of people on the, on the planet that can do that. So uh, if he starts to feel a little bit better about himself, he, he said, look, I, <laughs> it was a case where he wasn't playing loose and free and easy. He was thinking about everything. And now it just seems like the game is flowing for him, uh, which is, which is a really good sign. Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest here, Dave, uh, wherever the Leafs go, clearly these, these, uh, these top four players, their, their top four offensive players are going to drive them there. I mean, everybody else is going to have to contribute, but these are the guys that are going to drive them there. Without question, um, you know, you don't have four players taking up essentially half the salary cap and expect to win anything unless they're providing a good percentage of the production. So um, the, the fact that, look, the, even though they went through a bad stretch, uh, the record wasn't devastation like Montreal or Chicago. It wasn't great, but it wasn't devastation. And uh, they were able to tread water enough to the point where once the big boys got going, and Kyle Dubas said it last Friday when he spoke, string some W's together. Um, now they've, they've won three in a row and, um, you know, suddenly have put themselves in a much better position where, you know, it's no longer the world is, uh, the, you know, the, the, the bottom is falling out type of thing. They're they're right in the mix now. They've got another good test against Tampa Bay coming up on Thursday. Um, that'll be interesting to see how they fare. But you know, if you're a Leaf fan, you got to hope that finally they're feeling a little bit good about themselves now. Um, they've got some positive momentum. Um, you, you have to get to the point where you go into these games against teams like Tampa Bay, not being like, oh, I hope we can win. Oh, I hope this will uh, fall in our place and. You know, it can go our way tonight. Like you got to go into those games expecting to win, right, if you want to be a Stanley Cup contender, because that's sure as heck how Tampa Bay has been going into games the last number of years. They haven't been going in hoping for a break or a bounce or a team maybe catching them on an off night. They're going in dictating their own tempo and pace and, and expecting to win. So that's the level the Leafs have got to get to. It'll be a test tonight, or uh, I should say Thursday, uh, to see how they fare. Well, and I, I kind of like the timing of the test. I mean, they're 10 games in, and in the 10 games, they've, uh, you know, found their way eventually, and, and they're they're now looking confident, and, and this is the time to play Tampa Bay. I mean, you know, you keep talking about uh, adversity and how the team has to sort of piece itself together to get to get ready for a Stanley Cup run or at least go deep in the playoffs, and, and I just like the timing of this because Tampa is not going to let them play their game, and, and I think it's it's the right time for that test. No, I agree. And look, the other thing is the Leafs, by and large, are relatively healthy. I know Ilya Mikheyev is not in the lineup, but you know, as much as as much as y'all love uh, Ilya Mikheyev, he's a he's a complimentary piece. And don't talk to me about uh, teams that have endured more serious injuries, even, and have found a way uh, to to continue to navigate through. Case in point, Tampa Bay last year without Nikita Kucherov the entire season. So. Um, other than that, Leafs are, are relatively healthy. This is this is the group that they have. Uh, so let's see what they're able to get done against this this Tampa Bay team. And you know, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting because if, if they come out and even if they lose, but they're in the game, um, you know, they're they're in the mix. They, they don't get wiped out. Okay, you can live with that. You're not going to win every night. 
But what you you don't want to see is them dip their toe in the water in the first 10 minutes, kind of wade into the game uh, before you know what they're down a goal or two, and then they're chasing the game the whole time. Uh, that that would be pretty uninspiring uh, from my standpoint. So um, th- that's really what I'm looking for. Just just be in the game and uh, and try to play their game, but but not get into a track meet. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, it's taken them 10 games to figure out and, and to learn how to start the game properly, and they have. And in the Tuesday game, I think this was the first time where they had like a two-goal lead and they understood how to step on the Vegas throat. And, and they did this late in the second period um, after a penalty kill. Uh, yeah. Matthews and Nylander came out with Tavares on that left side, and then the next shift it was Marner, and then a goal goes in. So Coach had bulked up his top line, needed a goal, and got it. And that was a good lesson to learn for the Leafs too, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it was because that's the point of the game where, you know, it's a turning point, right, where the, the penalty kill, if they had given up a power play goal, suddenly it's a very different game. Um, or even if they go into the third period uh, just up two instead of three, um, you know, suddenly it's a it's a real different look. You give up an early goal in the se- the f- third period if you're only up two, like they did against uh, I think it was San Jose. Um, you know, they they gave up that early goal when they were down, right, trailing. But I remember yeah. Sheldon Keith said at the time, like, look, that's just completely unacceptable when you're um, in a decent position, just down a goal, trying to fight your way back. You come out before you know it, you're down two. Um, you give up one early in the third yesterday if you're only up two, and then suddenly it could be panic time for the remainder of the third. But they got that late one in the the second, and then uh, and then they continued to pour it on in the third. And there was really never any point in that game on Tuesday where you felt that Vegas was even in that game, in that in the mix, so to speak. And that was that was really encouraging because that's the point the Leafs need to get to, where they just sort of snuff teams out two thirds of the way through the game and it, it doesn't become panic time in the third period. Well, there's two things I want to throw at you that, that I thought were voids for the least for most of those first 10 games, but they seem to be rectified Tuesday night, and, and there were hints of it along the way. Game management was poor in a lot of situations, and game mm-hmm. adjustment was poor in a lot of situations. And I think we saw good examples of both of those in a positive fashion Tuesday night against Vegas. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly, I would agree with you know puck management. They were they were making bad plays all over the ice in the early part of the season. I mean, it's a big reason why Justin Hall right now finds himself uh, wearing a suit to, beside us in the press box instead of sitting on the bench because I mean his game just wasn't near where it needed to be uh, for him to to even continue to earn a spot in the lineup, let alone in the top four. So. Um, he, he, he was an issue through the first, uh, you know, whatever it was, eight games, seven games. Um, and, and right now, quite frankly, with Lilligren in, I think he's played pretty good um, yeah. with Sandine. And, and I like the mix in the top four right now with Dermot and Riley. Um, I have had no issues with that pairing. I think TJ Brody uh, and Jake Muzzin are a really good pairing because neither one of them wants to run all over the ice. That's not their game. They're just worried about keeping their own end under control, and they generally make a pretty good first pass out of the zone. So um, I, I'm fine with a pairing like that if you want to use your shut, use that as your shutdown pairing. I think a bit of the issue with Justin Hall at times, um, he, he sort of got out of his element, and it, it was like he wanted to race up and down the ice. And like, I'm sorry, that's just not his game. 
And the amount of times he seemed to be getting caught in the neutral zone, turning the puck over was not good, but you don't see that really with Muzzin and Brody. Um, neither guy runs around the ice like that. And I think Brody's also helped Muzzin out because um, whether it was the fact that Justin Hall's game had suffered was, was seeping into Muzzin's game because Muzzin was not very good either. Uh, but since they, they rearranged the deep pairings, um, a couple of games ago, I think Muzzin has played his best two games of the year. So at this point, there's no no reason for me to to change it up heading into Tampa. I keep rolling with it. Um, but to go back to your original point, um, you know, when you have inconsistency on the back end, that leads to a lot of mistakes, where it, it in turn creates chances that, quite frankly, an opponent shouldn't even really be getting. Um, those, if you want to use a tennis uh, analogy, so like unforced errors where you put yeah. yourself in a bind, right? And then suddenly you're, you're running around with your hair caught on fire. I, I haven't really seen too many examples of that. Uh, certainly uh, on Tuesday and, you know, by and large uh, against Detroit, they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, but they had the game in control. And that to me was, was the most important thing. Well, let's talk about that blue line because I'm going to go down two roads with it. One is the salary cap road. And the other is the roster. Uh, if they got steps forward from Sandine, Lilligren, and Dermott this year, this would be just the ultimate gift for the Leafs in terms of that roster and also for the salary cap over the next two or three years. They actually need that to happen exactly in that, in that fashion, that these three guys step up and are able to assume larger roles on the team. Well, they do. They do. Because with the signing of Morgan Riley uh, last Friday, and look, don't, that's good contract. It's the first time, I think, in this iteration of the group that you can say someone stuck around long-term uh, when he could have become an unrestricted free agent and took less. I mean, that's not happened before, or even as a restricted free agent. So uh, that was a great deal. Uh, the point is, though, that the message it sends is that if there is a change to come, it's not going to be Morgan Riley. He's sticking around long-term. You don't sign a guy like that to a contract like that and then trade him a year later. He's sticking around. So they need some other young players on the blue line to step up, as you said, to take on some larger roles at cheaper costs. And those three guys that you mentioned, Lilligren, Sandy, and Dermott, uh, if they can do that, and, and I think really in all three cases so far this year, the returns are positive, that would, uh, that would really, really go a long way in, in helping this blue line out. Um, you know, I, I think right now, Timothy Lilligren, I think early on in his career, there was a bit of sort of what am I as a as a professional, right? Because he was a first-round pick, uh, comes in as a, as a relatively highly touted guy. Uh, generally, you think you're more of a puck mover if you get drafted in the first round and all that. But I, I don't. he's not a guy that should be flying up and down the ice. I think he projects to be just a steady, um, you know, like a, a TJ Brody type. Just get your own end under control, make a good first pass, and, and really don't, don't worry about uh, controlling the game beyond your side of the red line. Get the puck up into somebody else's hands. And I think uh, the, fir- the first two games he's played, or he played one earlier, but whatever, the, first, the, the two games he's most recently played, he, he really looks like he knows what he is, and, and he's not uh, freelancing all over the ice. He seems like his game is under control. He's not getting sort of out of his element. And I think that's what he has to do in order to have success. And that can come with maturity at times. Um, after you play uh, three or four years pro and you start to, to figure out 
where your game is at and what you need to do in order to have success. To me, right now, it looks like he's figured a bit of that out. So that's really, really reassuring um, right now on the third pairing. And, and like I said, the way it is up front right now with the top four, I think the mix has worked out really well. Yep, I, I agree with that. I think maybe the wild card in all this is Dermot, because if he could play with Riley on a regular basis, that would be a big boost. I like Lilligren. He's got, um, I'm not going to say veteran savvy, but he, he he knows the game. He's not like he's learning it. So all that seasoning worked out. And in Sandine, there's, there's a pretty high ceiling for him. So uh, all this thing, all these guys project that they can bump up in the lineup. And I, I, it's, it's to have three guys like that in your blue line when you're only carrying six, I think that's magnificent. Well, it is. It is. Um, as you say, there is there is higher ceiling potential, certainly on Dermott uh, in the position he's in right now. Um, if he can continue to play well in that, that, that would be tremendous. And as you say, Rasmus Sandin, I think he's a guy that eventually uh, will be able to play in the top four. Eventually, not, not right now. I mean, remember, I kind of put Rasmus Sandin in the same position Morgan Riley was in in 2016-17. You know what I mean? Where Remember that yeah. year? Mike yeah. Babcock came in. It was his second year. And he really, really uh, took Morgan Riley along slowly and carefully. Uh, he didn't play on the power play that year. Um, he didn't really play too much on the penalty killing. It was just at even strength. Um, put him in positions where he can succeed. And then each year he kind of added uh, an element of responsibility to his game when he was ready and you say what you will there's some things that I think Babcock did wrong, but one of the things he did right uh, was develop Morgan Riley at the pace that he needed and didn't throw him in over his head. So um, I think if they can be patient with Rasmus Sandin, don't over elevate him in the lineup too early. Uh, wait till he, wait till he tells you and he'll tell you with his play when he's ready to move up. Uh, but the fact that they don't have to put him up there by necessity right now is also a good sign. So uh, I like the path that he's on. Uh, I don't mind them playing on the second power play right now, or, you know, in this case, maybe even really the first, because they're the one that's been shooting in the net more consistently. But um, I, I think he's handling that responsibility well, but he's playing on the third pair. It means he doesn't need to go up against other teams' top players to get caved in every night. Uh, I, I like the way they're handling Rasmus Sandin right now. So there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's accurate to say, but for the first time in a, in a while, there's some elements to this blue line that kind of get you a little bit excited for what the future can hold. Yep, I agree. It's a real step-by-step process with Sandin, and I'm glad you brought up the Riley example because that's exactly what they did with Morgan Riley. Let's go to the forwards. And on the left side of these top two lines, so much scrutiny over 10 games. I think it's uh, sort of morphed into what it, what we originally thought it would be. Bunting with Matthews and Nylander and Kerfoot with Tavares and Marner. And, and you know, obviously the right side's changed too, but, but you know, Kerfoot on the second line, Bunting on the first line. If we were talking in, in July or August after they signed Bunting, I think that's what we would have had. Well, in an, in an ideal world, yes. And I remember we talked then, Jim, about a lot of those being hope deals, right, where you brought in – some guys at low money and you hoped that they would be able to fill in on that role and uh so far michael bunting um he's he's turned hope into a reality he he's been good i've really liked his game he 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 has all of the elements that i want in a winger with those with those two guys he, he has a willingness to get to the front of the net um he finds himself in in scoring areas 
he, he's hard along the boards. Uh, he's got energy out there. His legs never seem to stop moving. That's exactly what you want. And you know, after the Nick Ritchie experiment didn't work out, I, I thought with the way bunting started, he was screaming out to be elevated in the lineup, and they did, and he's, he's proven to be good. So um, that, that, to me, is good. And uh, I'll be honest, I always liked Marner with Tavares. Um, I think Matthews is good enough where he, he can create on his own, really, at this point in his career. Um, and you put him with Nylander, I think they're more than good enough to manufacture their own opportunities or at least work in tandem. You don't need sort of a designated playmaker uh, with Austin Matthews, but I think to get more out of John Tavares at this point in his career, uh, I think that really helps John because he's, he's a guy who's really strong along the boards. It's like an underrated element of his game. Um, but but he, he does a lot of the grunt work himself. He digs the puck out. Then you need a, a guy like Marner to get it to where he can slow the play down and then give John time to find soft spots in the slaughter around the net, which he's really good at, um, and, then, and then to get him the puck. So um, I think that gets more out of John Tavares right now. Like, I'll put it this way. I think Matthews is capable of scoring 40 goals and uh, 80 points on his own. Uh, and that'll be more than good enough. I don't need him really to score 50 goals and a hundred points playing with Marner. Uh, I, you know, it's nice, but I would rather Austin get 40 goals and 80 points and John get 30 to 35 goals rather than 20 goals. If he wasn't playing with a guy that is as adept when he's going well as Marner is at getting somebody the puck. You see what I mean? Kind of balances yeah. out your, your scoring a little bit, which I think is, is really critical for this team. So I think at times we get caught up with, oh, win the Rocket Richard and maybe you can get 60 goals. And, and that's all well and good. But generally when you score 60 goals, like if you really break it down, uh, 20 of them were uh, the fourth or fifth goals in a six to two win so it's nice but doesn't really help you all that much where if you can spread out your scoring uh and have two vaunted lines that that an opponent needs to concern themselves with every single night makes you a much more difficult team to play against that way Dave, let's go down another road this is a salary cap uh, discussion so it has nothing to do with the players other than what they make and how this tracks forward Uh, you know great news that the leafs are trying to sign Jack Campbell to an extension. We obviously don't know what the dollar figures are. Uh, We could probably paint some sort of a ballpark and understand that it's going to be probably pretty close to Mrazek. And and so when you add that to what they have, obviously you you, you go tilt. Um, So having said all that, um, Kerfoot, if he plays where he is, is very useful to the team. If he was to drop down into the third line, I don't, I don't see that as a useful situation. I'm just talking about the salary. And Richie yeah. at 2.5 on the left side of that fourth line may be a problem at some point. Oh. Nothing to do with Richie. It's the salary. Well, oh, I mean, nothing to do with him personally, but quite honestly, his play has is, is not been nearly good enough, even uh, right now on the fourth line for $2.5 million for two years. Um, like my goodness, that contract to me looks like it could be devastating when you need to find some money for Jack. And I'll, I'll be honest, I think it, I could see it going even higher than Mrazek. Uh, at the at the play and the level he's been at this year, 
Um, I could see him getting a number in and around five for for around three years, quite honestly. Like that's the going rate for for that caliber of net mining, five to five to six. Uh, Linus Allmark got that. Uh, Jacob Markstrom got a little bit more than that a couple of years ago. Matt Murray got dramatically overpaid, uh, but don't think that that will be used as a comparable. Um, so I could see it being in around five. And, you know, they, they, look, they're going to get 1.2 back from Philip Kessel's money that comes off the books this year. And then they're going to have to find another one and change, and that'll take care of the Riley extension. Um, but if you if you pay Campbell, um, like what's he making now? One five. So if you yeah. pay him three and a half more, well, you're going to have to find another three and a half. Well, so if you look at uh, one and change and three, you're looking at four and a half million that you need to find in order to get <clears throat> Jack Campbell locked up and uh, and to to take care of the Morgan Riley extension. Well, that's that's you know three and a half and two and a half right there, is it not? That's Kerfoot and, and Richie. Yep. And I, I, I like Kerfoot. I, like the way he's played on that Tavares Meyer line, he's been really good. Um, yes. Maybe as, as effective as he's been during his Maple Leafs career. He was you know, pretty good in the playoffs last year, but he's carried it through. So I've liked his game this year. Um, so if he continues in that role, maybe you can find a way to, to cut elsewhere. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the salary is pretty tight right now. Um, and to find a guy at less than three and a half to play well in that role, that also becomes a bit of a risk there. Um, but if he, if he ends up dropping lower in the lineup, if you can find a way to get McKayev into that spot, then it's not on Kerfoot really, but three and a half million in your bottom six with a two and a half million guy in, in Nick Ritchie. There's just too much money tied up down there. So you got to find a way to divest. Um, that'll be interesting to follow right now because I think we would, uh, we would agree that, that Jack Campbell, um, you know, would be a higher priority than either of those two guys at this point. Yep, absolutely. And so if the KF, when he comes back, uh, at his salary rate, then he's going to be up for renewal anyway. So That's uh, you, thing, don't, yeah. you, don't, you, yeah, you don't know exactly where that goes. But what I'm trying to say is what we talked about on the blue line with Sandine Lilligren and Dermott uh, in, in terms of developing and in terms of controllable amounts of money being paid, what they actually need is two or three guys like that from their farm system on the forward unit. That's a void. Well, you look at a guy like Nick Robertson, if he, I mean, the poor guy, he just can't stay healthy. He broke his leg a few weeks ago, like out 10 weeks. It's, I mean, he just, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, but it's, it's certainly through no um, lack of effort on his part of anything. And I agree with what Haley Wickenheiser said earlier on in, in training camp. It's almost like he wants it too much. You got to just sort of relax a little bit, let the game come to him. But if he's a guy that, that could break in, uh, maybe in the second half of the season, certainly hope by next year, uh, that would go a long way because he'd still be on entry level. And then uh, you look at a guy like maybe Rodion Amarov down the road, maybe next year, but that even might be pushing a little bit. Uh, their, their farm system doesn't exactly scream out with a lot of, of, of those type of players. Semyon Dragachinsev has been a guy who's uh, been in the system for quite some time, but um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't profess to say that I, I track the Marlies on a daily basis, uh, but he has not been a guy that, that seems to be sort of transcending that team and putting himself in a position where you just can't help but notice him and that he, he's demanding uh, a call-up, uh, that he hasn't got to that point yet. So, um, 
that Nick Robertson is hope number one. And then you, you got to hope maybe a guy like Amarov down the road, but they're, they're in a bit of a tight spot right now because their, their prospect cupboard is not exactly overflowing. Dave, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Last minute of play in this podcast. Thank you, Mike Ross. That means we got to get out of here pretty quickly. Let's play Yes Guy, No Guy solo edition. Yes Guy, No Guy number one. The Leafs have turned the corner. Oh, no guy. We're going to find that out Thursday night against Tampa. Right now, they're, they position themselves nicely, but have they turned the corner? No guy. Yes Guy, No Guy number two. You actually like the Leafs without Justin Hall. Well, it's kind of a course question, but I'm going to say yes, guy. I really like that blue line. I like Travis Dermott's ability to play up with Morgan Riley. I like seeing Lilligren in the lineup, and Sandine is a long-term project in terms of topping out at, in the top four, in terms of him moving up into the top four is what I'm trying to say. Lilligren shows experience, and all those years with the Marlies are starting to pay off. Hall will be back in the lineup, but this is sort of a justification for how this thing goes forward. Dermott, Sandine, and Lilligren are all uncontrollable salaries for now, and that's really what the Leafs need to move this forward. And it's also nice that they can play in elevated positions. Best players are stepping up. Yes, guy, no guy. Oh, yes, guy. This is an emphatic yes, guy. In the Tuesday night game, Marner with a goal and two assists. Matthews with a pair of goals. Nylander uh, with a goal and an assist. And uh, Tavares got involved as well. It's great to see. And this might be the first time. I think it is the first time where all of the top six players got assists, goals, or points. Kerfoot got an assist. Bunting got an assist. Riley got an assist. Brody got an assist. So literally, the Leafs cream of the crop all delivered in this game. So that's an emphatic yes guy. And yes, guy, no guy number four. The 10-game start that the Leafs have had with all those stumbles at the midway point of the 10-game stretch is actually their battle with adversity and will do them well moving forward. Well, I'm going to say yes, guy, to this. I mean, if anybody thought they'd break training camp and just roll through the NHL regular season, that was a mistake. What they've done here is, and it hasn't looked good, but they pieced it together. Don't know exactly where it goes, but at least they've got one battle with adversity out of the way. Last year during the regular season in that pandemic-altered situation, they had no battle with adversity until... Game five against the Montreal Canadiens, and we all know what happened there. So I'm going to say the 10-game start has been to the team's benefit. It is a yes guy. Well, thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed Episode 4, Season 2 of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for Episode 5.